Stanford University. Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is uh, Abbas Emiloni. Uh, I direct the Iranian Studies Program here at Stanford. Uh, I would like to welcome you to uh, what is uh, our last uh, and certainly not the least event for this uh, <coughs> quarter. Uh, if you add your name to this list, we send out regularly announcements for our coming events. We have uh, uh, a dozen uh, events planned for next year already. Uh, uh, everyone from Nazila <coughs> Fati from uh, New York Times to Mohammad Shajarian is going to be here on May 20th, 8th. Uh, he's not going to be singing. Shajarian is going to be talking uh, about uh, uh, his work. Uh, it'll be a conversation in Persian. Those of you who don't speak Persian, I recommend start now by then. <laughs> you will be able to attend the meeting. Uh, the, uh, tonight's uh, uh, guest, Shahriyar Mandanipur, uh, uh, is not only one of the most talented Iranian writers uh, of a generation, uh, but I think uh, one of the most successful, in, if not the most successful, in making the transition from a writer in Iran to a writer in diaspora. Uh, I know of no one uh, who uh, came to this country uh, with uh, little uh, English and uh, little contact um, and s simply based on his uh, abilities and his uh, extreme uh, congeniality of character and uh, dedication to writing. Uh, have Alfred Knopf publish, publish his novel, uh, Censoring an Iranian Love Story. Uh, it is easily one of the most uh, widely reviewed uh, uh, novels of an Iranian writer in uh, some of the top Western American uh, sources. He was telling me that uh, they have contracts in 11 languages uh, for the novel to come out. And uh, all of this he has done in less than three years. And uh, uh, to come from Shiraz, uh, where he ran a very successful magazine, uh, to Boston, Harvard, Brown, and now University of Boston to do all of this uh, is a remarkable uh, feat. And I think I personally, as uh, an old friend of his and as an Iranian, uh, I feel extremely <coughs> proud to watch him uh, work and to watch him succeed. And I think, the, uh, if anything, greater and greater success awaits him because he is a man of immense talent and immense dedication to the art of the novel. So, Shahriyar Uh, <laughs> Follow his example. <laughs> no, actually, I would like to say because we are going to talk about censorship, it's free to turn on 
Jó, a szelofonon szálltam. First of all, I would like to say thank you all for coming in this rainy, cold day in Stanford. I think I brought it, the coldness of the East Coast to the West. And I would like to thank uh, Dr. Milani, my teacher, and when I see him, it reminds me the good days of Tehran University. Dr. Milani was uh, maybe the youngest and the best teacher on that era, after revolution, in um, political science faculty. And he taught me on that era. He tried to taught my generation somehow that look at the world in a tragic way, not black and white. And particularly in a country, in a black and, black and white country like Iran. Uh, I hope that I uh, learned this lesson. Uh, from Shiroz to Stanford. When uh, I have a talk about censorship in Iran, uh, I have a funny story that I would <coughs> like to share it with you. Uh, once upon a time, uh, an Iranian guy sees his friend in the street and realizes that he's so sleepy and asks him, what's wrong with you? He says, uh, uh, you know that I work around 16 hours a day. And when I, when I go home, uh, just I go, I go to my bed, and just when I pull the shit on my face, I have a dream that I'm sitting, I'm driving an old truck, and I have to drive from Tehran to Shiraz. It is a long way, around 600 miles. And I have to go, I have to drive to, for instance, City second, the third one, fourth one, Isfahan, fifth, sixth, and, and at the morning, <coughs> I wake up so tired and I have to go to work. All the all every night, I have this problem. The guy says to him, "I know a psychotherapist. I'm sure that he will fix you." After once, uh, this guy. The other, the sleeper, sees one of the other friend, and realizes that he's worse than him. Too much is sleepy, and asks him, "What's wrong with you?" He says, "Oh, you know that I work around 16 hours a day, and when I get home to my bed, uh, just when I pull the shit on my face, I saw that." Um, Brigitte Bardot comes to my dream. It is the, the old version, right? Now you can change it to maybe Nicole Kidman or Charlie Strong. And 
yeah, okay, Jenny. <laughs> and uh, just till until morning, uh, we do something. Uh, yara, 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 as <laughs> American used to say, or mm, talking about the stories. And at the morning, so tired, I have to go to work. And every night, I have this problem. He says to him, I know a psychotherapist, and he will fix you. One month later, he says, this is his friend. I forgot one part of this story. When the first guy go to the, went to the, the psychotherapist and uh, told him the problem, the psychotherapist told him, okay, tonight when you are going to bed, imagine that I'm driving that old trike with you. Uh, you just drive two-thirds of the way, and then you can sleep. I will drive the car, I will drive the car to Shiraz. And the second session, the psychotherapist told, has told him that imagine that we are two drivers in the old, old truck, so you drive half of the way, and then asleep, I will drive the car. And like, like it, and the last <laughs> session, he told him that uh, imagine that I can drive the old truck from Tehran to Shiraz, or from, for instance, Stanford to Chicago. And you can sleep all the night. And because of it, in this way, uh, he fixed that his patient. So he sent his, the second guy to this psychotherapist. And after one month, he sees him, he sees him and realized that he's not getting uh, uh, fixed, but uh, he's getting worse. And he goes to this wall and to that wall on the sidewalk and ask him, what happened to you? Didn't the doctor fix you? He said, no, got down that doctor. He got uh, Brigitte Bardo from me and gave me an old truck. <laughs> <laughs> I have to drive to shoot. I use this story about uh, censorship in Iran. There are times that uh, some critics ask uh, why Iranian writer, writers couldn't be uh, uh, global writers, why they didn't get a uh, Nobel Prize or something like it. And I told them this story, that all Iranian writers, they are just like, uh, like that guy. Once upon a time, we have Vigit Bordo, but this regime, got Virgil Bordo from me and gave us an old truck that we have to drive in a long way. Okay. Uh, I have some stories because um, before we get to the main title, I need to tell some stories uh, a lot of stories, maybe, <coughs> about being an Iranian writer and uh, how, how is, uh, or why somebody like me is an Iranian writer, that I'm so proud of it. And because, and uh, I try to familiarize you uh, why we are proud of being an Iranian writer. 
in a maybe worse situation for writers and journalists in Iran. So I need to tell you some stories. Uh, it is about 1,001 one stories, but tonight <laughs> I, I just read 1,000 of them for you. There is my first story. This is my first story. There are people in Iran whose job is to read and censor stories. Well, if people like me don't become writers, then those people will lose their jobs and won't be able to support their wife and children. So there must be writers to keep them employed. The second story. Not only in Iran, but in some countries around the world, there are people whose job is to kill riders or to arrest them and make them confess that they are spies of the US. Well, if there were no riders, who would these agents kill or torture so that they confess to being spies? Therefore, becoming a rider is providing humanitarian help to such people because if there were no riders then these people would kill or arrest and torture innocent people. This is another story. Totalitarian and dictatorial regimes corrupt language before they start corrupting power and money. Or economy. These days, dictators have learned not to speak against the freedom of speech. They all claim that their country is the freest country in the world, as Mr. Ahmadinejad. They all speak beautiful sentences about freedom. They even quote writers who have fought for the freedom of speech. Well, if there were no writers in these countries, where would the dictators find texts for their speech before the United Nations? They take advantage of language, they easily lie, and the power of television and radio helps them make their lies believable. What is interesting is that some people believe what the dictators say and cheer for them in such time when the poor language is used to make thousands of lies, one must write to prove that the word tree means tree, that the word cherry means cherry, and kiss means kiss, and freedom means being free, being free to not lie. Therefore, writing in the darkness of dictatorship, when language is being dragged through corruption, is an art. You become a writer so that you can say the dictator is naked. It is not important that you write a political story. Uh, it is important that you write an artistic story. If you write a beautiful story, you will feel that you are stronger than dictator. You will feel that you are stronger than the lie. You will feel that you are struggling to save your country's language from corruption. 
I don't know why the other writers in their countries or in exile became <coughs> writers. I wish they had become, uh, become mariachi so that I could be more famous. Myself, I become a writer so that I can say there are feelings in this world that cannot be expressed with ordinary sentences. Therefore, I write stories to express these feelings. And after each story, I realize that I have not managed to convey that feeling. And so I write another story. I became, became a writer because I was born in Iran. Because becoming a writer in Iran is very different than becoming a writer in places like the US or Europe. Becoming a writer in Iran is really wonderful. Sometimes it is like walking in a minefield. I served my military service uh, during the long and useless Iran-Iraq war. It was sometimes necessary for us to move toward the Iraqi front lines by night to deter determine a plan of attack. When you walk in a minefield field, you hate the weight of your own body. You wish you were as light as a dandelion. Every step you take can be the step of your death. <coughs> it is in this moment that you feel the existence of your feet. The same feet that on ordinary days, while walking, while running, you completely ignore. Therefore, you feel your own existence, your being, in the present tense. Taking a walk, or perhaps dancing in a minefield. The next story is, again, a war story. I was once stationed at a very dangerous uh, battlefront, a place where the Iraqi army had a clear view on our trenches. As a result, in daytime, we had to try and stay in our trenches. During the long and hot summer days, staying in a trench where your hair rubs against the ceiling is not easy. Time passes slowly, boringly, like the grinding, grinding of a stone. It was during these days that I decided to write a story. It was the first love story that I wanted to write. In the violent environment of war, filled with blood and dust, thinking of a love affair is very comforting. It helps you forget. In those days, all the Western governments supported the Iraqi army. Therefore, their artillery, unlike the Iranian artillery, had no shortage of mortals and cannons. And they generously shot their mortal shells at us. While I rode in my trench, I could hear the Iraqi mortal shells being fired. It would take about three seconds 
for a 120 millimeter mortar shell to reach our front line. <coughs> if it landed, landed on our trench, everyone inside would turn into chopped meat. So I had three seconds to add one more word to my story. One word in the space of life and death. One word that could be the last word of my life on a piece of paper. That could be the last word of my life on a piece of paper. In those three seconds, I understood the meaning and value of words very well. Which word? Which adjective, which adverb is best for this scene in, this, in the story? One word can be all of life. One word that adding it to your story will make the story more beautiful while a, while a, while, while a stupid mortal shell, shell is on its way and a small change in the direction of the wind can land it on your trench or send it to the bottom of the valley. This is how my flesh felt the value of every single word. My ninth story is my most important story. I clearly remember the first time I started to write. It was a fall morning. I was in fourth grade, grade and I had decided to write my homework myself instead of my mother writing it for me. In the garden, I mean composition, in the garden of the house, sitting on a carpet under the gentle Shiraz sun, I start to write, describe the season of autumn. To this day, the wonder and even the fear of discovering my ability to write and to come up with words that I never thought would come easily to me remains in my heart. Heart. To go along with what the teachers liked, with passionate words, I wrote about the yellow and orange leaves that fell dancing from the trees. I wrote about the music of the shepherd's flute and the sheep that happily grazed. And then I wrote about the beauty of the golden sun on the golden wheat field. And in the same tone, I wrote about the waves that the wind creates in the wheat field. And I wrote that the wheat field is forgivingly ready to be harvested. And I was sure that for the taste, for the first time, I would get an excellent grade in composition. Therefore, I bravely volunteered to read my composition in class. As soon as I got to the sentence about the golden wheat, the teacher shouted, Boy, what do uh, wheat doesn't turn golden in the fall. I continued to read, and again, as soon as I, uh, I read that the wheat field is ready to be harvested, the, the teacher yelled, A stupid boy, wheat fields are not harvested in the fall. 
and he wrote a low grade at the bottom of the <coughs> composition of my hope and pride and sent me to my chair with a lump, lump in my throat. I know that a long time has passed since that day and my wheat fields have been harvested before the fall. And, sorry, and many wheat fields have been harvested before the fall. And many wheat fields have gone toward the spring. But I continue to write about the pleasant autumn day, that pleasant autumn day, so that I can bring my own small wheat field to harvest in the fall. <coughs> whether golden or not, infested or healthy, whether it is it is a wheat field that I have created. And so many years have passed in writing and with my writing, and they will probably continue to pass. When I took at my past, when I look at my past, I have no regrets for the path that I have chosen and the way that I have lived. With all these pains and sorrows, I am content except for times when I remember how much I have been hurt by all the bitter and oppressive obstacle that shortened the life of a writer. And because I could have written more and more profoundly, and I did not. <coughs> and let's jump to the main title. At the airport in Tehran, they truthfully search every part of my body and luggage twice. They even counted the money I had in my wallet. In Iran, I was a probable U.S. spy who was leaving the country. At the airport in Istanbul, too, when they saw my Iranian passport, they took me and my family out of the line and again searched and questioned us. In Istanbul, I was a probable, a terrorist who wanted to go to New York. But entering New York was much easier. I was worried about a few bags of dried herbs that my mother had forced me to pack. I had told her that in the US they may mistake these for marijuana. <laughs> they didn't, or perhaps they didn't see them. Iranians perceive being fingerprinted upon entry the US as an insult to their nationality. But I didn't mind leaving my fingerprints someplace. Well, in fact, I write to, I write so that I can leave the fingerprint of my existence someplace. I would have given them toe prints from my feet if they had asked for it. The same feet that I had survived from minefields. Anyway, I settled down in a new home and a beautiful office at Brown University. The first week went by easily. I was, it was beautiful meeting, meeting sophisticated and artistic people and people who did everything to solve 
any problems that my family and I faced. And it felt strange to be able to talk freely and comfortably with my friends in different parts of the US without fear of telephone being taped. Well, I guess that as an Iranian, my telephone calls may be monitored, but this was a far cry from that. In Iran, I had told a friend, look, my telephone isn't safe. When you want to talk about alcohol, talk in code. Otherwise, it is likely that we will both get a whiplashing. He called and mumbled a bit, and then very intellectually, he said, Shariar, I have bought five bottles of that colorless lemon juice for your party. Come and pick it up. It was during the second or third month that I told myself, watching the new world is enough. You have to write. I had stashed in my suitcase and brought with me tens of my stories that I had no hope of publishing during uh, the term of Mr. Ahmadinejad. And the obstacle, uh, an absolute insanity of censorship. There were also two half-finished novels and a thriller screenplay that seems to suit Hollywood. I told myself I should revise and prepare them and then with an patience that all Iranian writers have, sit and wait hoping that censorship will come to its sense. But my heart wasn't in any of it. I couldn't understand why. Back in Iran, I would write from early evening until down when the sparrows would wake up in the sour orange trees. But in the US, I would sit in front of the computer. Everything was ready, but they had even installed, installed Farsi font on my computer in my office. But time was passing. But in my hands and in my mind, I couldn't find the passion and enthusiasm since uh, to write uh, this uh, English was children <laughs> if censorship didn't. I couldn't even focus and con uh, concentrate on a story. The mysterious energy that would creep into my body in Iran that would make me write madly, patiently, to take the finished difficult revisions, and even in the middle of the night, to chase away sleep by constantly washing my face, seems to have left me. Not even a new idea would come to me, and consciously or unconsciously, I would go out with the ex ex excuse of taking care of something unimportant so that I could free myself from my own reprimands. Uh, yeah, <laughs> colorless oranges. <laughs> uh, 
in Iran and at lectures in Europe, I had always discussed that discussed the question of why, contrary to the those world writers who have written their masterpieces in migration, some Iranian writers who have, for the most part, carried the burden of immigration for political <coughs> reasons have not been able to succeed, or at least to repeat in the West the strength and beauty of what they had created in their homeland. To me, it was like a secret, like a dark destiny that Iranian writers in the West, with their painful loneliness and <clears throat> seclusion, have found finally committed suicide or some others have not written, and even before their death, have even burned their memories so that only flames would read them. Tired of not writing and impatient, I would look at my fingers. I would see that they are ugly, thickest. The rain and the snow of winter would fall. I would walk slowly and sadly along, along the sidewalk of Benefit Street in Providence toward, toward Brown University. I would see lively students who uh, chirped like nightingales and energetic professors who went toward their destination. And I would avoid looking at them. They reminded me of my inability to write, and of the brave Iranian students who were beaten with buttons for fighting for their human rights, and who would be interrogated and tortured from months in grave-like solitary cells. Both these memories would make me sadder. At the time, when an American <coughs> real estate agent was showing us our small house, on top of a hill, he had started as eloquently as a scholar to discuss the beauties of its decor and its view of a green space and the Rhode Island State House. I had thought to myself, in America, even the real estate agents who are known around the world as being con artists, <laughs> as poet, as decent. We had been living in that house for two months when for the first time I walked down the slope and the stairs and to my surprise suddenly discovered that the green space was hidden an old cemetery, cemetery and an old abandoned church behind its massive trees and short stone wall. For us Iranians, a graveyard <coughs> bears an ominous sense, and the crowds come. I constant, constantly thought, what is the secret? It is distance from the Farsi, is it distance from the Farsi language and culture that is the cause of an Iranian writer's inability and failure? Is it because of years of writing under the pressure of censorship 
and the fear of being arrested that when we arrive at an open space and freedom, we lose our motiv mo motivation to write? Have we not gotten used to using our chemi to create the golden energy and courage of create creativity out of humiliation and treats, out of helplessness and power, poverty, <coughs> so much so that when we are no longer in darkness, we no longer know what to write about. Are we not like the fighter who has returned from the war front <coughs> and can no longer live a peaceful and ideal life like everyone else? Have the ancientness of the Farsi language and the eternal dictatorship not made the metaphors and symbols become more complicated and more Iranian from one century to the next? To weave into each other and make the language of our literature different from that of the rest of the world. Among us, only do those who make migrated when they were young have managed to continue along their path, or those who first began writing in the West. And I would constantly review successful Western works in my uh, <clears throat> perplexed mind to find how they differ, differed with our own literature. The depressing winter snows and rains ended, and the beautiful spring of Benefit Street reveals its flowers. I relish the lashing of the rain, flowers whose names I didn't know and were therefore more of a flower to me. They were more, of, more than flower to me, made me sadder because they were not for me and drinking a few bottles of colorless lemon juice didn't help either. I had been and continued to be invited to universities and all of them I had talked about censorship in Iran. Everyone was curious to know <coughs> what the mechanism of censorship was in Iran. I also had a few funny stories to tell about the stupidity of censorship until one day when I get fed up and retorted that you all, I, I, <coughs> I got fed up and retorted that you all ask me about the censorship of Iranian literature and never ask, well, what is this literature and what has it achieved? <coughs> My lectures and interviews were growing more bland and censorship in Iran was becoming more barbaric, and I felt that the bridge to my return were crumbling behind me. I didn't want, but as a writer, I couldn't keep silence when, for example, 5,000 books were gathering dust at the censorship bureau waiting for a publishing permit. While books that spread ignorance, lies, and fantasism 
fanaticism were being published with government support in 100,000 print runs and were being sent to schools and mosques. <coughs> Until the time came from the literary festival at Brown, I talked to myself, I have to, I have to do something. I have to do something new, but what? A story, a story, but the stories that I had started and were, were half written were not suitable. Until finally my, finally, my ambivalence paid off. I found my idea. A story about censorship of a story. One that illustrates an Iranian writer struggling to write a beautiful Iranian love story. And while writing this story, he explains that in an Islamic Iran, simple scenes that generally take place between a boy and a girl who are in love cannot be written. And to show what literary techniques and metaphors he uses to pass his story through the wall of censorship. A story about collapsing of a story. I started to write. I was surprised to see that it was progressing well. I told a friend that it seems I can also write during daylight. <laughs> he said, at the hour you are writing, it is nighttime in Iran. <laughs> you still have your nighty, nightly Iranian habit. Old track. In the second stage, I realized that for the first time in my life, I am using humor in my story. I thought, whatever you are, you are welcome. Having be, been away from Iran for a sufficient length of time and having looked at my beloved land from a distance had given me the opportunity to see that in all the bitter and bloody disaster after the revolution, there is also a layer of dark and bitter humor. I was seeing how comically the Iranian character crashes, how stupidly, stupidly the most basic human rights have been and are being denied even in stories. And I wrote. The first text was no more than 15 pages. I was translated, it was translated and it was successful at the Brown <laughs> Festival. I gained more energy. After years of bad luck with, a transla with the translation of my stories, I had found a knowledgeable translator, creative and in love with Iranian literature. And I was thinking that this work is a novel. I told Sara Khalili that there is no publisher and no agent. We therefore can't have any hope of the work even being published. And I hesitantly asked, if I start writing the novel, are you man enough to translate it? <coughs> she said, I'm not man enough, but I am woman enough instead of bragging, uh, uh, I'm woman enough. Instead of bragging, write it 
if you can. And again, I started. I told myself it's time to open the old wounds and to speak openly. And one after the other, my memories and suppressed emotions in Iran were coming to me. I remember that the collection of my best stories went from one publisher to another for five years and was waiting in the censorship bureau. And for me, it had become an infected wound whose poison was getting into my blood. I remember the difficult nights I writing and struggling, struggling over words and metaphors and trying to find a way to write images that from the perspective of censorship were political or against public mortality, morality in such a way that I would not betray. Sorry, but uh, I remember the difficult nights of writing and struggling over words and metaphors and trying to find a way to write images that from the perspective of censorship were political or against public morality in such a way that uh, in such a way that I would not betray my own literary principles and at the same time censorship would not notice them. From the point of view of censorship, I had started writing a literary scene and crime. Therefore, Mr. Petrovich from the novel Crime and Punishment should pick into in on this novel too. Like Dostoevsky's love of gambling, I too had started a gamble, but not of the same kind as him. Iran is full of aces. I dealt the first, the first ace. <coughs> we gave the first 50 pages of the novel that had been written and translated to George Borshaw's agency. He liked it. A few weeks later, Sarah gave me the news that Knopf has accepted the work based on just these 50 pages. I would be asked, are you happy? And I didn't know what to answer. I had regained my confidence, but in writing every word and sentences, my question was, with that prose, with which images should I work my multi-layered forms so that without sacrificing my dreams and literary standards, my Farsi languages, language starts to speak English too. It was a difficult time, and it was an anxious time, and so it left me no room for joy. The novel was progressing, and it was getting to places where the characters were revolting against me, and they found me guilty of self-censoring and bearing them from seeing each other more freely so that they could at least touch each other's hand. I struggle to make them understand that in a country where it is illegal for a girl and a boy who are not related, if they casually walk off together in the street, they will be arrested by one of the patrols from the campaign against social corruption. 
I try to come up with safe and creative solution for them to meet. For example, I inspired in them that if you sit next to each other in the waiting area of an <coughs> emergency room in a hospital, the patrols will not grow suspicious of you and the like. They ask a man who stuttered, do you always stutter? He said, not always, just when I speak. <laughs> they ask me, do you always forget words just when you need them? I say, not always, just when I speak in English. In high school, I would often hand in my English quiz sheets to the teacher completely blank. And I would tell my classmates that learning English means serving British imperialism, <laughs> which has played a destructive role in our history. Well, some of us, us Iranian, hide our laziness and lack of foresight behind political slogans. This was another of, of my, of one, of, of one of my problems that, that, I, that I had to solve, English language. There are many Farsi good stories that were lost in translation. At time when we comp compared the Farsi text against the English translation, I would realize that I cannot, cannot so quickly make up for my shortcoming in English vocabulary and the question of whether words have the same nuance and implicit connot connotations that I want. <coughs> so many discussions with Sarah showed me that she has an artistic talent in translation. So my job was <coughs> to try and feel the syntax of English language and its, and its difference with the syntax of Farsi. But now, the evening has come to an end, and I, too, have to end my story. In short, the writing and editing of censoring an Iranian love story took two and a half years, and today it is in process of being published in 11 different languages. Thank you. <laughs> yes, sir. What is the greatest achievement <coughs> of Iranian literature? In your opinion, yeah. what is the greatest achievement of Iranian literature? Greatest achievement, yeah. Uh, I know, I think the blind old by Sadaq Hedayat, it's one of them. And mm, in, in fiction, I mean. <coughs> and hardly I can remember a real achievement. Although I, I'm sure that uh, there are a pure literature in Iran, a sort of diaspora literature in Iran. But as I 
try to talk about it, maybe the problem is the translations. Could you speak in the microphone? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, blind all in fiction. Maybe two one the meaning of the meaning of the night. Recently, <coughs> there are some another one in Europe. Uh, particularly, I can make an example. Make a, make examples. Bamdad uh, Khomar. I can't remember. Help me, doctor. The translation of Bamdad Khomar by Fatone in English. No, not the day after. <laughs> the day after drunkness, yeah? Yes. Something like it, yeah. And uh, in non-fiction works, that I think it is uh, <coughs> fiction, uh, Mr. Milani's book about Hoveda, uh, or um, the last prime minister of Shah's, it, it was so successful, I think so. And it is the beginning, I think. We Iranian writers, we are learning to how to deal with translation and publishers in West. But I think it is, uh, it is so delicate to talk about these things. You know, somehow the sensor machine lacks the story that because of censorship, because of the pressure, and because of the, for instance, uh, the sensor's efforts, uh, forces uh, that if, for instance, Iranian writers don't write about sexuality or something like it, they are writing masterpieces, you know? It's totally wrong. But I think the experiences that a writer can gain are so helpful for writing uh, a masterpiece. 
and when we are, when we are looking at uh, the life of uh, writers uh, that they uh, they made <coughs> and they have written masterpieces in literature of the world, we will see that uh, most of them have uh, uh, many advent ad adventures, many experiences in their life. Not only uh, suffer, or not only just experience, happy experience or suffering. It helps to uh, to see uh, the stories that they are hidden in the first layer of the life in this world. Yes. Is there censorship in the uh, universities in Iran that? Uh, prevent what books from the West to be taught. <coughs> yeah, sure. You know. So you actually you have censors that censors. Uh, do teach? Do they teach Western literature? No, not. Actually, they okay. don't teach uh, uh, Iranian contemporary literature mm -hmm. in universities. It is they don't believe that they uh, that they are literature. Mm -hmm. It's forbidden for the teachers to talk, for instance, for, about Iranian great, uh, contemporary great writers, mm -hmm. for the, uh, in, even in uh, literature faculties. So it is a forbidden uh, to talk about it. Somehow, for instance, uh, talk about, uh, maybe there were some courses about world literature, mm -hmm. but all of them were classic. For instance, it's not possible for a teacher to think to talk, to teach about, for instance, James Joyce or Faulkner. It's so stupid. I have a story about it. You know, for many years, we Iranian writers, particularly Iranian writers, we was waiting for the translation, uh, the translation of Olis uh, yeah, of James Joyce, and one Iranian a good translator did it. And on that time, Islamic reformists uh, uh, were on the power, Mr. Khatami, and they tried to be a little bit nice with writers and translators on that time, and be sane somehow. And <laughs> the censor machine, the censor, um, <clears throat> it was a sort of proposal. To, they told the, the translator that we can't uh, let you publish the Molloy Molloy um, chapter in your list because it's so uh, <laughs> against <laughs> Islam. And, but uh, if you publish this part, this sexy part, in Italian language, in Persian <laughs> translation, we can handle it. We can uh, stand it somehow. <laughs> so you can imagine how they are looking to the literature. Yeah. Could you tell us more about your life in Shiraz and whether or not being a Shirazi has uh -huh. an impact on your, on your writing? You want it in Shirazi uh, um, <laughs> accent? Kaka? Ah, so it was beautiful living in Shiraz. Uh, it was uh, um, sort of right on that. There I was the chief of uh, maybe the 
biggest library in Shiraz. When I said biggest library, library, don't compare it to libraries in the United States. It is just a library with 20,000 books, for instance. And because of uh, signing uh, the writer's uh, declaration that it was uh, named 134 or Iranian writers' declaration, something like it, against censorship, they exiled <coughs> me to another uh, uh, library that it was in Hafiziyah. Hafiziyah is the place that the tomb of Hafiz, our greatest, greatest poet, is there. And it is a beautiful place there, particularly in the springs. And it, I was so lucky that <laughs> I exiled there. And on that time, I felt the heaviness of my being because I was involved to publishing a literary journal named Thursday Evening. I was so happy. Um, we had many difficulties to publish it. Money and find paper, find good stories. And on that time, we tried to uh, support Iranian uh, new generation, right? new, uh, young writers and young poets. And I was so happy because I could uh, help them. They could see the first, uh, the publishing of their stories or poems in, in a magazine. And it was banned, uh, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I liked that uh, time. But the time, got, uh, but days and nights get darker and darker. The last years that I was living in Iran, uh, there was no hope for publishing even a book that is censored. There were many books that they were published or reprinted many times in Islamic regime, and they banned it again. So they were bitter, they were very bitter uh, memories of that time, and happy <coughs> memories at, at that time. I felt that I'm useful. Being there helped me to feel that being useful. And I don't know. <laughs> uh, right now, I feel that I did a good job to come outside. As I wrote, as I uh, talk about it, looking to my beloved country from a distance helped me to know it maybe better. <coughs> yeah? There was a novel so much of a novel, but uh, by Betty Mahmoudi. Yeah. Uh, not without my daughter. Yeah. If you've read it or not. And if you have, can you share some views? And, and uh, I think if it, is, it would be right, uh, the writer would be right and didn't lie. Uh, it's, it's just a memoir, not, it's not literature. And somehow the picture, the images that it gave to the Western uh, uh, readers from Iran, somehow they are right. There are some, uh, some kind of people in Iran. But unfortunately, the way that it shows Iran is not right, I think so. There are many educated, sophisticated people in Iran, not like that doctor. 
uh, as I remember, mm, the location of the novel is in Qom, some place like it, yeah, a religious uh, city in Iran, and so religious and uh, foolish people. All of them are like it. I think uh, it's not a, a good novel. It's not. I didn't like it so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've noticed in in exile there are quite a few more women novelists from Iran than men. Is that the case in Iran as well, or is that just abroad? You mean that uh, Iranian women are more active from men? There are more yeah. novels from women yeah. than from men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been translated. In literature, yeah. It is uh, like a miracle, yeah. As much as Islamic regime <coughs> suppressed women and tried to keep women in the houses, in the kitchens, on the other hand, the women writers, the women poets, women filmmakers, make a, a, a sort of a huge uh, progress in quality and in um, how many of them, how many that, that they are. For instance, there were times that I had uh, a workshop on literary list uh, in fiction, and there were times that third, third three-fourths uh, of uh, students were girls and women. It was wonderful. And I adore them, I uh, admire them. They are so brave. There are times that Iranian women are braver than men, I think so. <laughs> yes? Is sort of tainted with 
doubt and with uncertainty, which is something that we lack in our culture, at, at least we used to, because our culture, like some other cultures, they don't have jurisdiction either, uh, is, um, you know, we, we are full of this certainty, or at least we used to be, and everything, there was a theory, there was this, uh, this whole uh, religious thing that was the answer to all of our questions, and all the questions were apparently solved, and there was an answer to them, so we, we knew what we should do, what we shouldn't do, at least um, up to 50 years ago. And there is still this certainty in our culture, but it's going to be vanished, I think, I hope, soon. Uh, I mean, gradually, when the, these new generations who are raised with doubt about everything are coming to the world. They, they, they raise doubt about their government, they raise doubt about their beliefs, they raise doubt about, um, you know, even the morality of the society. And that could, you know, put uh, these people and therefore, the characters of the story written by these the writers from the new generation or the writers who saw this new generation in, in, a, in a place that they can actually build a good fiction. So I think um, if, if you as a writer uh, can tell us about the, 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 these this ideas about the, the, the new generation and uh, these, uh, these uncertainties and how you, you as a person who lived sometime before and had this, this experience want to deal with these new uncertainties that has uh, been raised up in, in our country and you want to employ them in your fiction. Mm -hmm. There are many debates about um, why Iran, such an Iranian, such Iranian, such as Iranian literature, are not <coughs> worldwide. Although I think there are good stories, particularly in short stories, Iran literature, Farsi literature is uh, successful. About the novel, there are many debates. Yes, dictatorship. The dictators, the long period of periods of dictatorship, dictatorship in Iran, they try to taught us, to learn, to teach out us that the people are the same. There is no difference between people. They try to um, force us to believe that uh, there is no individuality. I think there is no difference between a religious regime and an ideological regime, like a communist regime. When you are looking at what they did, there are so, so much uh, similarity between them. The words uh, or slogans may be uh, very different, but the acts are particularly in censorship or dealing with literature or art. There are times um, that in Iran, for instance, the best novels or best uh, short stories uh, collections were published around 3,000, in 3,000. And there were times, on that time, the secret police of Iran tries to kill writers by um, tapping and um, so much jobs they did uh, against writers. And ask, I ask myself, why? 3,000 and there are, and the readers are somebody who knows everything about the regime, about dictatorship and censor. Why they are focused on literature so heavily and um, strongly? The answer is that, that you talk about it. The literature tries to show the reader 
that there are many points of view in this world. In my point of view, it is black. In your point of view, it, is, it should be gray. It should be yellow. There are characters. There are individualism in the um, society because there are individualism in the novels. When we are writing a, about a character that apparently it is, a, for instance, a bad person in a novel, I, as a writer, should love him or her, should respect him as a character. So it, 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 uh, it, teach, it, taught, it teach me that look at the world as it, people as people <coughs> and as individuals, not as black and white. The, the way that I talk about looking at the world in a tragic way, just that is that it is that it is happening in literature, and I think Iranians, uh, uh, particularly young generation in, uh, in literature, they're uh, finding finding it out somehow, and they all feel it. You know, democracy, novel, they all both comes together, and because of it, maybe. There, there were times that we Iranians uh, committed revolution, and uh, then we couldn't uh, gain to democracy. Because in our mind, yeah, uncertainty is not, hasn't <coughs> enough roots. But in literature, I think we, we can be help, hopeful. In the presence of the severe censorship in Iran, what do you contribute the success of the film as a medium? Uh -huh. The point is that the movies uh, were censored in Iran as well. Right. That's the point. And yet, they seem to be able to transcend that uh -huh. obstacle and one of the reasons maybe it would be uh, on language. The language of a movie is not, it's uh, pictural, yeah? So it's not based on the language and it's not um, based on the translation. The audiences watch it. And uh, if you, uh, make a review on the Iranian movies that they were awarded in, in, the, in, in the recent era, you can see that they have a, a simple theme in it. They are not <coughs> as much as um, <coughs> complicated as our literature. And maybe because of censorship, because of many, many reasons, Iranian literature is so much complicated, it's so much uh, personal. And because of it, it can't, it's not easy for this literature to have a dialogue with the world. But the movie, because of its language, uh, could be easily for a director to talk with the world. It is easier, I think so. Yeah? Congratulations. The New Yorker just picked your book as one of the 10 best. 
that, that is no easy feat. So, did you know that? New York that Times? No, 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 New, New York Yorker? Times. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah I get it. Yeah. Very picky. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you. Bravo for that. Uh, I was just curious um, are young people in Iran reading right now? Are they trying to read the books that uh, you know people could read 40 years ago? Yeah, uh, I told you that um, it's just like a tsunami in Iranian, um, in, in young Iranian uh, people. <coughs> the way that they try to write stories or poems. I'm not telling that uh, all of them are literature. Just because of censorship, they don't have access to many good uh, literary, literary books. They don't have access. Uh, but they are trying. The point is that they are trying. And they are more and more, more, more and more and more than my generation. If the gen before the generation, before my generation, if you uh, count the uh, success writers, you can say 20, for instance. In my generation, you can say 50, 100 uh, succeeded uh, writers and poets. In a new generation, you can, you can say this one and this one and this one. There are so many. But right now, there is no magazine, no literary magazine, no uh, any places <coughs> that they can uh, improve their talents. Uh, sorry. I'm just curious, um, uh, coming from Iran and from a different society with different rules and a different way of uh, which your life is, uh, people's lives are sort of work or constrained or bound, how do you see, how do you see at least literature in the United States, how do you see society and how do you see people's uh, preoccupations with uh, culture in the United States? Because uh, one thing that worries me as a, as a reader, as, a, as an individual, is that uh, there's an enormous amount of entertainment. And, and when I think about someone who writes, I wonder sometimes <coughs> whether the writers ever, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's just a very big industry, marketed, and, and you know, there's, there's venues and avenues for people to publish. Um, uh, does it seem, uh, what, is, I mean, what, what does our society seem like to you? And does it seem like, and have you ever, have you at any moment, had any sort of paralyzation, or have, have you been affected by by this transition from li living in a state where uh, the opportunity to write is very, very constrained to one in which you're actually encouraged to write? And, and how has that been for you, and how do you see writing or how do you see art mm -hmm. in the United States? And does it worry you as a, as a person, as a human being, uh, for possibly the future of Iran, for possibly for the you know? In relation to the internet, to information, to yeah, yeah. The first point that I can uh, point out is that, uh, on the contrary of the dark and unprogressed, uh, undeveloped, undeveloped picture that you can see in American or Western media about Iran, <coughs> there are a pure culture there. And you can't believe that how much Iranian writers and intellectuals and readers are familiar, for instance, to 
American literature. There is a, uh, a great admirable uh, effort, the movement of translation from other languages to Farsi language. Not only uh, American literature, but also the literature from the other part of the world. So somehow I can say that Iranian intellectuals are familiar with uh, Western literature more than Western readers, you know? But yeah, the point is that, for instance, my experience of publishing this, of this book could be a story. There are many, many problems that I, I, I couldn't uh, predict them on that time. I didn't know about them. For instance, the simple one is, in Iran, uh, there isn't no copyright role or uh, nobody uh, think about copyright. In this novel, I use just two sentences of Lorca, um, a, trans, a, a, poet, a poem of Lorca. One of my characters uh, uh, said, said, said it in, in a scene. After uh, there was a contract with a Spanish uh, uh, <coughs> publisher, they told me that I have paid have to pay uh, to Lorca's family. And I said, wow, <laughs> look at it. An Iranian writer in the United States is, is going to pay to Lorca's family? Great, okay, I will pay it, I, I like it. <laughs> there are many things like it that we can't predict. We don't know the rules uh, of publication, the rules of media and something. For instance, uh, what's the name of this uh, showman? Stuart, um, Stuart, the family name is John Stuart. He uh, invited me to his show. I said, no, I'm not the man of this job. I know that he is so smart and it's so funny and I don't like to sit there as a, um, sit there and I couldn't uh, uh, deal with him, with my English language. If he let me to talk in Farsi language, let's go. <laughs> But I said, no. I said, I, I know that everybody told me that you have to take it. It is a good advantage for your book. I said, no, I can't. It's not my job. And um, the other point is, the other face of this picture is that in Iran culture, in Iranian culture, there isn't anything like it. We are not familiar with it. You know, because everything in Iran, in, in Iranian media, it's, uh, help me, Dr. Milani, Mokaddas, I forgot. Ah, yeah, everything is holy here. Yeah. I, I, I can't say it. Uh, so nobody, for instance, uh, make a joke about Ahmadinejad in media, but people do it. But, um, so it, it was so, uh, uh, I was so, I feel this, um, so much uncomfortable to be in show, I, although I like it. There are many, many things that uh, we, can't, we, we couldn't predict them. They came to us. And uh, maybe after a few years later, I can uh, answer your question better, you know? Yeah. I was wondering whether you will publish your censorship book in Farsi as well. It's impossible. Uh, right now. Yeah. 
Here I'm thinking about it, but unfortunately, publishing in Farsi language in in West, they are unfortunately, it's I think it's not a real publishing. You know, it is published in circulation about 500. And as I heard about publishing books and magazines, such a book, uh, you know, there are, maybe there would be such book that they are, uh, they will have or would have more circulation. But a novel like it, I'm, I'm sure that it would be published in 500. And I think it's not real publishing. <coughs> and unfortunately, these 500 wouldn't find uh, Iranian readers, <laughs> unfortunately. We are not used to read. We have time for one more question. Yeah, uh -huh. okay. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that young people are reading a lot in Iran. Yeah. Are they smuggling books back and forth, or are they, is it electronic media, or how are they doing it? Oh, oh which is another novel that I have to write. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is a, uh, many, many books are uh, banned but they can borrow <coughs> and hand it, uh, books together. Iranian people are so great in internet and in computer matters. I can tell you bravely that, for instance, we, uh, we didn't pay any, just uh, not even uh, a cent uh, for Windows <laughs> in Iran. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we have it everywhere, and our friends, yeah. And they are so smart to using proxies to pass through the filters, and every day it is a, uh, uh, a struggle between Iranian young people and the regime in internet. And they win, they won, and they, will, they win. Yeah. Thank you very much. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.